0: Hello, everyone. This is another episode of Connecting the Dots podcast. I'm Skip Stewart, Vice President and Chief Improvement Officer with Baptist Memorial Healthcare.
1: Hey, everybody. I'm H.F. Mason. I'm a general surgeon and chief medical officer at Baptist Memorial Hospital DeSoto and chief quality officer for the Baptist system.
0: Well, today we are so excited. We have Dr. Lance Patek. Uh, and he's going to tell us about himself. He has a really unique uh, role, and he also has a unique company he works with. Uh, Dr. Patet, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Where do you work at in, in your role?
2: Sure, yeah. So I, I'm I'm Dr. Lance Paddock. I work at the University of Washington School of Medicine, Seattle Children's Hospital. I'm a pediatric anesthesiologist there. I've worked there for, um, you know, seven, seven, eight years or so. And uh, prior to my career in, uh, in medicine, I was a registered nurse and spent many years in, in the Los Angeles area working in nursing, um, and prior to that, a nurse assistant, which is where, where I first identified the issue that we're going to be talking about today, and did most of my work in this space. I'm also the CEO of a Vita-Tech, the company that's helping um, you know, manage this, this product and, and some of the changes and outcomes that we're, we're helping drive for hospitals.
1: Well, Lance, once once again, thank you very much for being here. And, and we always like having physicians on the podcast. It, it's not, this podcast isn't specifically for physicians. We, we, we welcome everybody. But, it, and also, you know, I, I like hearing from doctors who, you know, you started out what as a, did you say a PCA or nursing assistant, and then you became a nurse and then you went back to medical school and and I was in, I was in medical school with a lot of a lot of nurses, and it seems like they, they, they always have made good doctors, you know, that, that I'm sure there are exceptions. But uh, but anyway, once again, welcome and, and thank you very much. And tell us a little bit about. You know what you do and, and, and specifically about your company, uh, VitaTac.
2: Sure. So, you know, I'll kind of go back to when I first observed this problem. And anyone who has worked in critical care uh, knows this hallmark story. Uh, you know, we we had a, a bilateral lung transplant patient. Her name was Joan. She was an opera singer. And she had been intubated for long enough time that she then required a tracheostomy.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Very challenging for a patient who lived using her voice as a career uh, to not be able to speak. In any case, it was the relationship with this patient and really the desire to um, ease her suffering as she tried to communicate and wasn't able to do so repeatedly, um, you know, that then drove the vision for changing how we work with patients who have a speech barrier. Um, and, And this work has spilled over into... Patients that have language barriers because the solution solves both problems.
1: Well, elaborate on that a little bit, and, and I, I certainly understand your, you know, understand what you're saying. How many times have have we had patients in the ICU who who may be awake but, like you said, they're intubated and they're trying to communicate with you, and you you just kind of sit there and nod your head like you, oh yeah, 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 like you like you totally understand what they're saying, and you you really don't. You know, you say, okay, yeah, well, you know.
2: It's frustrating for providers, whether you're a nurse, nurse assistant, you're a physician, you're a therapist, you know, you come to the bedside, and if you don't feel confident in your ability to understand the patient, you may not even initiate the attempt to communicate, because from even an altruistic perspective, you don't want to make it obvious that the patient or induce suffering where you're asking them to communicate with you and then just re-exposing them to the inability to communicate sure, and so sure. oftentimes you'll find providers will behave in an inhibitory stand, uh, way where you know where they would normally communicate and, and, and advocate for the patient they don't feel confident in their ability to achieve success and so they avoid it so avoidant behaviors is, is one of the common things some patients will expect patients to mouth words, try to communicate, but all of these methods, um, you know, all of this has been researched for decades now. We know that lip reading is ineffective and, and wrought with error, uh, that patients often lose the ability to write legibly, and they absolutely 100% rely on patient uh, providers being able to provide them a way to communicate effectively accurately and efficiently, something that's not going to fatigue them. What I observed in this one patient at the time was that, uh, you know, they were presented with a sheet of paper with the alphabet and asked to spell uh, each word as they were, you know, trying to communicate. And, you know, on this particular day, I think maybe a little delirium had set in. And, you know, these patients wax and wane with their ability to, um, you you know, perform motor control. Um, be able to maybe articulate mouth better things like that Uh, but she wasn't spelling anything i went over to help and you know i i wrote down like maybe 10 or 12 different things that she often wanted to communicate because i knew her well and sure enough she just pointed to it and she wanted to get back into the bed she was up in the cardiac chair and she wanted to know where her daughter was and It's just dawned on me, why are we asking patients to spell out things? And certainly there must be a finite list of things that every patient needs to communicate, that we can just present on a board or something that they can just point to. It would be right there in front of them, and, you know, the transaction can be done effortlessly. And so, you know, I I went about a a two-year research study identifying all the things that patients would want to communicate while they're unable to speak, and we designed, you know, we 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 uh, gathered a collection of experts in this field with over 100 years of experience uh, collectively amongst the group, and we weighed in on this initial prototype of, of a communication board. Um, the result of this study was uh, the board went through five iterations. Patients helped redesign it, removed content, added content, increased font sizes, changed colors, all sorts of things. And now you have the Easy Board, which has um, been adopted globally. It's a two-sided dry erase board, as simple as a pair of sandals. This is not rocket science here. But, you know, not only the the communication board design itself, but the systematic provision of communication aids, whether they be boards, pen and paper, whatever, this is something that, um, you know, this process in and of itself changes the relationship with these patients, um, you know. Where, you know, when I talked about before the avoidant behaviors of a provider, when they don't feel confident the patient's going to be able to communicate. If you know that the patient's going to be able to communicate or you're confident that they will, maybe you won't sedate them. Maybe when they, you know, pass their breathing trials, you won't turn the sedation back on when they fail to extubate. Um, you'll expect them to be able to communicate effectively with you. And when you expect them to communicate with, with you and then they don't, then something's wrong and you get a speech-language pathologist that come to, you know, an assessment and maybe match them with a better tool or device. And um, and if, you're, if your hospital is not practicing this in such a way where ICU rounds include the discussion around patient communication, the constitution of a patient's ability to request and provide uh, specific information about their symptoms, their experiences, what they need, um, then how can the primary care team feel confident in their ability to treat this patient if they're only going based on objective data. You know, the patient's saying they have pain, they see a signal scar, they think it's there, but maybe it's somewhere else. Maybe the pain is a form of pain that doesn't require pain medicine. Maybe it needs a neuro assessment, like a foot drop, or, you know, muscle weakness, or maybe a DBT is forming behind, behind the leg, and the objective finding is, a, you know, a PE uh, arrest from a saddle embolus. Um, that could have been detected if we only got more specific information from the patient. And so, you know, with this innovation of a communication board comes the innovation of a care process and uh, an an, an innovation and approach to patients who have speech and language barriers. We should be expecting them to communicate with us in an equitable way as their speaking and English-speaking counterparts. And if we don't, And any gap in between there, we are all agreeing to accept the disparities that occur in that gap. And so um, what we've done from a company standpoint is, you know, we took what we learned from the communication board. We applied for grant funding from the NIH. The NIH funded our company to research the feasibility of taking this you know low technology the easy board and transferring that into a technical solution there are several reasons to do this because you know you can have multiple languages in one solution you don't have to order you know the different languages and stock them Um, you can have an infinite number of languages you can include interpreter access there's all sorts of things you can customize um, and i can kind of go into more detail but certainly there is a strong argument for a digital solution, but if that solution could not be used by this very, uh, you know, this vulnerable patient population who have very unique user requirements, then it's not a solution that, you know, should be used. So, so uh, you know, we conducted this study at the Ohio State University of Washington, um, sorry, the Ohio State University uh, Wexner Medical Center, and it was a five-year longitudinal study. And in the very same way, we designed the easy board through iterative designs. We went through multiple iterative designs of the layout of this technology, going through multiple screens, making sure that patients who are critically ill, even older patients, could navigate the screens, select the request accurately and in a time, timely manner. Um, and until this was achieved, we did not, uh, we would not accept this as acceptable or feasible. And so we passed that study, and then went on to, to do additional work and evaluating its impact on outcomes. The uh, some of the challenges there were that processes to support changes in outcomes were not there. And mm-hmm. so, if every provider isn't practicing the same, or um, you know, even providing the resources, maybe they're walking in out of the room ten different times, and they don't even offer the communication device, it's hard to achieve the same outcomes if you have variability in practice, and you can't control for that. And so it's very hard to research this area and get a p-value that tells you whether or not you should be providing these patients a means to communicate. But I would argue that you don't need a p-value to understand that, you know, if a patient can't communicate, um, that indeed they're going to need sedation and to overcome the the inability to communicate when they're in the process of dying or when they're in the process of struggling to survive. Mm -hmm. And and certainly, you know, we, we see the same thing happening for patients that don't speak English, they're out on the floor. And we're talking about patients that, you know, it's not just a matter of not being able to speak fluently, it's a primary language other than English. They absolutely cannot communicate or understand another language. These patients need an interpreter with every interaction. And when those patients are out on the floor, if you did an audit of providers walking in and out of those rooms, are interpreters used for every one of those interactions? No. And so when VitaTalk is at their bedside, you know, those patients are able to use the communication app in the same way the patient who can't speak uses the app at the point of care, communicating the routine care requests and symptoms in their own language, on their own time, and have control of it. So that's pretty much a snapshot overview. It's just kind of took you through the journey of where we started and, and where we ended up.
1: So, so you guys initially had just a board, I, I would assume, that had pictures and symbols and, and whatnot, and a patient may nod. As you, is that kind of how it was initially? And I know you had several different iterations, and now you've turned that into a, a digital product.
2: Yeah, so the Easy Board has about 100 words and phrases on it. Um, It comes in both text and picture format. The picture format also has text, but because of the real estate issue, um, you know, it has less content in the picture format. So there's about 20, 30 different words and phrases that aren't on the picture board that are on the word board. Um, We went through. We learned so much. Like you know, patients, we we thought a clipboard would be a, a would be a, a, you know a great way to just print it on a clipboard because you could put slip paper in there and then the patients could write legibly and then when they can't write, then you just take it away and then they could just use the board. But a clipboard is too heavy, and so you know the weight of the board uh, had to be very lightweight, but it also had to be sturdy. It couldn't be so flimsy that you know you hold it like a piece of paper and it flips over. Um, You know, so patients would use this board and point to it. They would also, um, you know, maybe use the alphabet and and spell some things if they could do that as well. For the talk app, we have a draw feature that allows patients to write novel messages with their finger, which they have much more control over just their finger than trying to control a pen or pencil or a stylet of some sort. So they're able to write novel messages that way. They're also able to type messages uh, on the app, but the app speaks out. Giving a voice to these patients has has made a huge impact also on their ability, um, on, on their experience of being heard, feeling like they have control, reducing their anxiety, uh, feeling like they're part of the conversation, their sense of engagement. We've had, um, you know, several studies come out since uh, this product was released two or three years ago. Um, you know, during the COVID, you know, scenario, you know, you've got all these patients waking up after days of paralysis. They all have ICU-acquired weakness. None of them can write legibly. They all need to communicate. They all need the sedation removed. Um, and our delirium rates went up from, you know, you know, anywhere from 8 to 20% up to 80% because of the use and exposure of sedation. Um, And so it's really critical that in the ICU environment, ICU rounds include the discussion around patient's ability to communicate, whether they're using our product or not. They need to communicate. The inability to do so will absolutely warrant and require sedation to endure that experience. We cannot ask someone to go through a muted experience in the process of being critically ill and not sedate them. So that has to be first and foremost. If we expect the A through F bundle, the ABCDF bundle to be effective, then, you know, we have to make sure the patient's communicating. That's front and center. That is a pillar to that bundle. And if the patient's not communicating, it's a failure. The same way that if a patient's still febrile and, you know, they're on these antibiotics you know let's redraw cultures let's investigate let's find out what the sensitivities are let's have have they de, you know developed a resistance um the same way you would pursue this you know uh this challenge you should do so with patients who can't communicate they should all be expected to communicate As long as sedation can be weaned off from a hemodynamic standpoint obviously we're not asking someone who's in a you know drug-induced coma to be communicating um but that patient who's trached or intubated or even has a stroke and they can communicate from a from a comprehensive under you know standpoint um you know and it, it does sometimes require a dyad there's a communication dyad this is also well published uh, encouraging family members to to participate and help with that. They're very motivated to understand mm-hmm. their, their family member. Um, and, you know, a physical therapist during one of the studies actually noted that patients using the tablet actually um, were improving their fine motor skills even more rapidly because – it actually, they were motivated to do that more so than squeezing a ball or some other it's physical It's like therapy.
1: occupational therapy,
2: for sure. Yes, yeah. it's, it's So in fact, some facilities have incorporated this into the OTPT goals. Um, you know, so yeah, and, and we've found, you know, maybe a, a dozen very specific, very finite, low-hanging fruit, tangible uh, things that hospitals can do once a solution like VitaTalk and the Easy boards are in place. Um, that make this the default behavior a patient rolls up into you know a a bed space uh, gets admitted someone takes vital signs right away no one has to ask them to do that that's default behavior Um, you know if a patient can't communicate someone provides them a a means to communicate that's default behavior how do we get to that point how do we make it so that it's what people do well it's got to be an electronic medical record And it should be because you get reimbursed for it. So there are, you know, several CPT codes that allow the hospital to bill for the provision of speech-generated devices Mm -hmm. as well as non-speech-generated devices, Uh, the assessment for these devices and the evaluation of it and programming of it. So um, the hospital not providing the service has a huge revenue loss (laughs) that they're completely missing let alone the outcomes improvement and the cost reduction from reducing sedation exposure, reducing length of stay in the ICU, reducing ventilator days, improving satisfaction. Um, so, you know, the whole the whole process, the whole, you know, experience of being able to communicate effectively, um, regardless of your speech or language ability, uh, you know, should be first and, you know, first in line for, for any sort of quality initiatives if a hospital is looking to make improvement today.
1: So, yeah, I mean, you, you, you bring up several good points other than just respecting the human dignity of the patient, you know, and trying to communicate with them. I mean, you're, you have definite, definite measurable outcome improvements, like you said, decreased sedation, decreased length of stay, increased patient satisfaction. Um, I was just curious, you know, I can imagine, you know, you have a Hispanic patient who doesn't speak any English, who all of a sudden is on the ventilator, but he's awake, and you're trying to communicate with that. How, how does that work? I mean, do, do they do they point to things, and then it, you know, they hear it in Spanish, and then it translates it translates it to uh, English, or
2: yeah, so just... so our app has 40 language profiles. This captures the bell-shaped curve across the entire U.S. of all of our customers and future customers that are currently engaged where they reported what are their top 10 languages. Mm -hmm. I can share that in more detail. You can go to our website to find out about it. But if you choose one of those language profiles, everything in, in, in the application is in Spanish but also as a subtext of, of English. And then when you press make a selection, there's a text output and sentence format, both in Spanish and English and voice output. We also have uh, voice recording uh, recordings in both masculine and feminine voices uh, that also match masculine and feminine verb endings for some of those romantic languages that have, you know, masculine and feminine um, tenses. And so, the patient gets to experience a very personalized, you know, communication, you know, uh, experience through through using this application. It's not only in their language, it's in their voice, it's spoken out loud, um, you know, and so that's how it works. And then you can just tap one button, the interpreter button, and then launch an interpreter, and the interpreter can hear the patient communicating through the app, can hear the provider next to them, and so the patient who's intubated, doesn't speak English, can communicate with an interpreter uh, and with a provider. We're, we're now working on a, a connection to family members that are remote to the hospital and engaging them as well. So you'll have two video sessions, one with an interpreter, one with a family member, one with the patient, and one with a provider. And so, um, you know, this, this, is, this is revolutionary. It's 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 nowhere else in the healthcare industry today. Uh, can you facilitate this experience
1: for patients with speech and language barriers? And, and I assume it's done on a tablet or a, an iPad or, or something similar?
2: Yeah, so the application is a web-based app. And so oh, it it's is web-based. completely, it's completely uh, platform and device agnostic. Where we implement, we tend to implement system-wide. Every single digital access point in the hospital has VataTalk on it, the desktop on wheels, the, you know, computer, uh, the computers at the bedside, the tablets at the bedside, even patient-owned devices can have this, uh, this, and, and provide provider own devices. You can put a QR code with the credentials built into it so the patient can scan their tablet or phone over it. The hospital doesn't have to be equipped with tablets to benefit from the VitaTox solution. Hospitals bring their own devices. I mean, patients bring their own devices. And so... Um, And what's also fantastic is that the patient who still needs the app going home can take it home with them. And so the hospital gets to gift that to the patient and that continuity and that relationship is maintained. It's not revoked simply because they're discharged. And so, uh, you know, that's our goal is that we're really establishing an equitable experience for patients with speech and language barriers. Um, We want that uh, equitable experience to also be easier care. For providers, We want it to make it easier for providers to provide that quality care. Um, And and so that's been our aim. And, and, you know, providers and patients have guided us along the way and continue to do so, adding new content and and things like that. It's all about patient advocacy.
1: I was curious, what about uh, a patient who's a quadriplegic? Let's say they uh, have you are there any ways that they could communicate with their eyes or anything like that?
2: Sure, so there's eye gaze technology, and there's other augmentative solutions where patients will um you know use a straw, things like yep. that. our Our solution is navigatable through switch tech so you can toggle through it uh, you know using these other solutions that are enhanced for uh, you know these other disabilities uh, in terms of movement and things like that. so. Um, but that requires, you know, someone to to connect those, you know, in, internally.
0: One question I had: uh, this is so fascinating, and you know, the whole time you were sharing your journey, all I could hear was what we call plan, do, study, adjust. I was
1: thinking the is, same thing. I said, skip, oh, sitting here thinking PDSA, PDSA, PDSA." Well,
0: I mean, you could just hear, you could hear. Uh, the journey and all of the iterative uh, things that had to occur to get you to even where you're at now. One thing that I was curious out of is that we've had many folks uh, on the podcast that have talked about the uh, industries that are being created and the infrastructure that's being put in place to move more healthcare home so that the patient is being, uh, taken care of more from the home, and how healthcare could look so different moving forward. Have have you? I'm going to use the word experimenting because that's my word. But have you done much experimenting in the world of of uh, providing healthcare
2: at home? Yeah. So we actually have home healthcare agencies or home healthcare. Um, you know, there there are these groups that manage the continuity between. Uh, acute care rehab, home care, and things like that. Um, and so whether it's the providers that have the device and then bring it to the patients, also, uh, you know, provide share credentials with the patient at home so that they can, uh, you know, use it on their own devices when the provider leaves. Um, but that empowerment, it, it, it's, it's so simple to deploy. It takes less than five minutes for a hospital to download the app, take our four lines of app configuration, embed it into a mobile device manager, decide where they want to spit it out, and then every single device in the entire organization can have VitaTalk at their bedside in less than five minutes. It is so quick and fast and easy. It doesn't integrate with EMR. There's no PHI, there's no snags, uh, no hurdles to jump, um, no, no high-level requirements from a technical standpoint. Um, And because we have that URL that can go on desktops as well, um, it makes it ubiquitous to an entire organization. A provider, no matter where they are, can call an interpreter from even on their phone and get an interpreter or can help a patient.
1: So I may have missed this. Do you sell it as one package or do you sell it per license or how does that
2: yeah so the company so so the company's established uh, you know a variety of different ways to distribute the app depending on the model of care and so for hospitals healthcare systems like Baptist Health you know there would be an enterprise license you know we we connect with the IT people we provide them an app config they distribute it across the entire organization every hospital every ambulatory clinic every every everywhere um, if you go to let's say a single community-based hospital, they might have to manually download this. Uh, they may not have an IT infrastructure to do it. But you know, it, it's the same way. You manually download it. You enter the credentials, and it works. So uh, there's individual licenses if you're doing it on a small scale. If there's uh, you, know, if, you know, healthcare organization like Baptist Health, it would be an enterprise
1: license. But I was I was curious, is it like on the App Store on um, an iTunes you know, or yeah, is it?
2: Absolutely. Anyone can download it today. Go to go to, uh, go to uh, Google Play or uh, iTunes and type in Vita Talk V I D A T A L K and uh, download it. And That's you can cool. you can experience the app for free for one day, so you 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 see what you're getting before uh before you buy, so you'll know what it's about. And we we offer free you know free trial as well for an organization to implement. But with that, you know, we we always encourage. The adoption of very specific processes, like these these nuanced processes of incorporating into ICU rounds, putting signage up, including it in EMR, putting your order set. If you've got a patient that's ventilated more than 24 hours, when you do your A through F bundle, include VATATOC in that bundle. Document that you've ordered it, document that you've used it, and build the insurance company and get reimbursed for it. Sure. Um, You know, so, um, you know, there's a way to protocolize this so that it becomes the default behavior rather than someone getting a DAISY award for communicating with their patient. This is not where, you know, exceptional behavior should be appearing. Um, But unfortunately, today in many hospitals, there's only a handful of people that are driving this despite the resources not being made available to them.
1: You know, that just my uh, (laughs) my oldest daughter just got married. And, you know, you talk talking. To them about the importance of of communication and I and the wheels were rolling I said, you know get get this app and you and, and you can only communicate through this app for a weekend and you'll realize how how important communication is anyway that, that's uh I digress
0: well wow hey this is really exciting I think I heard more iterations and more improvement. I can't even imagine how many iterations Lance must you had to go through to get you to where you're at now. Really exciting. I I was, I was sitting there envisioning as you were telling us the journey, you know, about being in, in, in foreign countries and, and being able to maneuver through my daughter was recently doing a study abroad and, and she was jumping on her phone and, and she was doing fine she was maneuvering through life right and and we're really bringing something that we're we're all experiencing we're bringing it to the healthcare world i love what you're doing with this to give people their dignity to give them literally their voice you know yeah
2: thank this you is so this. Much. You know, I we actually receive emails almost weekly whether it's from patients or patients family members or hospitals you know we actually just w- received uh, an inquiry from a Kuwait hospital where a team of physical therapists uh, had attended a mobility conference and wanted to improve their engagement with patients they are caring for um, and they 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 mentioned that a lot of their providers don't speak Arabic and and you know and then you know the, the Ukrainian, uh, migration uh, in this rescue mission that we're, we're helping all the Ukrainians that that have migrated. There are so many countries that have now taken on a new language challenge. And, and Talk is, is helping several of those organizations that are experiencing that because of the Ukrainian. And, and these people cannot speak another language. And so, wow. um, you know, it, it's so fantastic to be at the epicenter of this humanitarian effort Everyone who engages our company is a patient advocate. No one reaches out to us unless they are absolutely a patient advocate. So everyone I meet are patient advocates. And it's, it's fascinating to engage with these people on the front lines that are so passionate about humanitarian care. But at the same time, it's so astounding that here we are in 2022, and most hospitals are still not doing anything. For patients who can't communicate, Um, you know uh, that they're still just walking around accepting this muted experience as being normal, Um, and it's absolutely not normal. And so, um, you know, we're excited to be a part of it.
0: Well, Dr. Patek, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your energy. I know that you have a lot going on, obviously, and we are just so incredibly thankful for you at Baptist Memorial Healthcare. So, on behalf of Baptist Memorial Healthcare. Thank you so much for your time, your energy, the great work that you're doing on behalf of patients, and we hope that you'll come back in the future on the podcast again and tell us more about this journey.
2: Thank you for the opportunity. Really appreciate it.
0: Thanks a lot, Lance.
2: Thank you, Dr. Mason.